you to put the hourglass away because I know some one of you people here is going to come up and turn that over and tell me that's how long I have left to preach. I know that. But sorry, that's not the way it's going to work today. <laughs> some of you have probably seen um, this first meme that I'm going to put up on the screen this morning. It says, I just bought a book from Ikea. And uh, if you guys have ever bought anything from Ikea, you'll understand what that, that meme really refers to. Because sometimes the instructions that come along with some of their products are not all that easy to follow. They're, they usually have all these pictures, and you've got a thousand different parts, and you've got to try to kind of figure out how to put them together. For, but they do have one of their products that's really easy instructions. It's instructions for how to build a house. And that's what these look like. See, so that's, that's, an, uh, that's a simple IKEA project right there, right? I always see the ones about all the stuff not to do and everything like that. And, and I've bought some stuff from IKEA before, and sometimes I'll be real honest. I open up the instructions, and I'm like, I don't know about this. So I just try to put it together myself. And, and more often than not, if I do that, what happens? I end up having to take it all apart again and go back and actually try to figure out what the you know, what the instructions are teaching me. And I think that, that all of us probably do that, and that's a pretty good illustration, I think, of the, the principle that we're going to discover together this morning as we continue our study in Proverbs. And here's that principle that we're going to look at today, that I'm never more foolish than when I think I'm wise. I'm never more foolish than when I think I'm wise. So how many of you have ever made a foolish decision, right? Everyone, right? We do that. We think we have it all figured out. We think we know exactly what's going on, and then we find out that that's not really the case. And we'll probably do it again in the future, to be real honest, but, but hopefully what we're going to learn together this morning are some things, some principles that will help us to, to maybe not do that quite as often in our lives. So today is our, our fourth message in our uh, current sermon series, which we're calling Foolproof. It comes from the book of Proverbs. By now, you've probably figured out that in the seven weeks that we've allotted for this sermon series, we're not going to cover the entire book of Proverbs, right? I mean, we, it took us three weeks just to get through chapter one. And that was really important because chapter one really sets the stage for everything else that we're going to learn from the book of Proverbs. So it was really important to spend some time there. Well, today, I'm going to skip ahead to, to chapter three. And, uh, and then in the weeks that, that follow, Ryan's going to actually take and preach some topical sermons. He's going to pull some principles out of the rest of the book of Proverbs in some different areas of our life and, and teach on those. So that's kind of where we're headed with this. So this morning we're going to pick up in chapter 3, and I'm going to read the first 12 verses this morning. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and follow along. The verses will also be up um, on the screen as well. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life, and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. 
Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. As I read through that, my guess is that a lot of you, when I got to verses 5 and 6, they seem pretty familiar to you, right? Some of you may have even memorized those verses. I, I know I've memorized those verses in the past. And those are really important verses, without a doubt. But I want to suggest to you this morning that they might not really be the most important verses here. They might not even be kind of the focal point of the passage. And the reason I say that has to do with kind of the structure of this of these these 12 verses here. And, and, and as you can see, there's these six couplets here, right? These six couplets. In each of these six couplets, it begins with a command. And then following that command is the, the result of what happens if I obey that command or the blessing that I get from that command. And there's these six different pairs. And this would probably be a good time to talk about these pairs that we're going to find because we see these all throughout the book of Proverbs. And it's important to understand that these these pairs, they're not really promises. They're not really guarantees. But what they are, they're these principles that kind of generally lay out what will happen if we follow these principles in our lives. I, I read one commentator a few weeks ago when I was preparing the message that said they work about 90% of the time, and I think that's probably pretty accurate. And the reason that they don't work 100% of the time is because we live in a world that's been messed up by sin, right? And so these principles don't always work. We live in a world where, where good people get hurt, where good people suffer. We live in a world where, where evil people sometimes prosper, right? And so all these principles we're going to look at today and really throughout the, the rest of the book of Proverbs, you could always find me an exception to the rule. But generally, the idea is if you'll follow these principles, life's going to be a whole lot better for you than if you don't follow them. Now, these six couplets or these six pairs we have here are arranged into a a structure that's known as a chiasm. And I'm not going to get into a lot of technical things about it, but just kind of explain to you how this works. In a a chiasm in Hebrew poetry, it's a way to, to bring focus on a particular part of the passage. So here what you'll see, if you look at verses 1 through 4, you'll see that they're parallel with verses 11 and 12. And the reason that... The, the idea that ties those together is the idea of commandments and what happens when we either obey or don't obey those commandments. So those ideas, they're, they're related there. The second thing, as you kind of move from the outside in, you'll see that in verses 5 and 6, and then again in verses 9 and 10, there's the parallel ideas of trusting the Lord and honoring the Lord, which means that really what this passage does is it puts the focus on verses 7 and 8. And I think verses 7 and 8 are really the heart of this passage, and they're kind of the main idea, and the verses around them kind of build on that and help us to understand that main idea a little better. So I want to go back and look at verse 7 in particular because I think this is a really important verse. It's the one from which we're going to kind of draw the main idea that we're working on today, and it says this, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And I would suggest to you that, that this verse is a, really another way of just restating what we saw back in chapter 1 in verse 7, which we said was really kind of the theme verse for the entire book of Proverbs. And in that verse, we learned that, that the way to be wise, the way to foolproof our lives, 
is to fear the Lord, that that's the beginning of wisdom. And we said that the way that we do that is that we live in a way in which we acknowledge that God is God and I'm not. And that's exactly what this verse is saying, I think, in just a little different way. It says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Instead, fear the Lord. Live as if God is God and you're not. That's what it's really saying here again. The fool is wise in his own eyes. He, he thinks he knows it all. He thinks he understands it. He's like the guy that puts together the Ikea product without the instructions. And the, and the thing is, that sometimes works, doesn't it? For a little while in our lives, sometimes you might even get lucky and put that Ikea product together, and it might actually stay together for a little while before it falls apart. And the same thing is true with our, our lives. When we think we know it all, we might think it might look like we have it all together for a while, but then after a while, if we're not following the principles we find in God's Word, our lives are going to fall apart. So that's why we said this morning from this verse that I'm never as foolish, more foolish than when I think I'm wise. And conversely, we could also say this, I'm never, more, I'm never wiser than when I recognize my foolishness. That's when I'm wise, when I understand that I don't have it all together, when I understand that, that, that you know, I don't have it all figured out. When I begin to live as if God is God and I'm not, and I'm not in charge of my life, and I put God in charge of my life, that's when I'm wise. And, and even though the, the person who, who is wise in their own eyes is described here as a fool, there's a, there's a blessing that comes along with, with the idea of me understanding how foolish I am, and we find that in verse 8. And here's, here's the blessing in verse 8. It says, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Don't you love that? The idea here is that when we finally recognize that we're not wise, that we need God's wisdom, then God says, I'm going to bring healing to your flesh, refreshment to your bones. And all the other promises that we find in this passage, they're really just different aspects of what we find here in verse 8. They're part of how God brings refreshment to us, how, how he heals us, how he brings peace and joy to our lives even when the circumstances around us are difficult. So the question that that we really need to answer this morning then is, is how do I live my life in a way that I don't become wise in my own eyes? Because that's really the key here, right? How how do I do that? And we're going to see this morning that it's all a matter of trust. Am I going to trust in myself or am I going to trust in God? And that's really true, especially in four different areas of our life that that we see in this passage this morning. So I want to talk to you about four areas of our life. We need to make sure that we're trusting God and not trusting self. And the first thing here is I need to trust my heart to God. We see this in the first four verses here. And and, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because in a couple of weeks, Ryan's going to go into much more detail about how we actually do this. How do I actually trust my my heart to God, but we see the word heart here. It shows up a couple of times in these first in these first four verses. And the the Hebrew word there just sometimes it does mean this muscle that we have in our chest that pumps blood to the rest of our our body. Right? We all have a, a physical heart, but more often it refers to kind of the inner person that 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 what we might call even our personality, our our intellect, 
and our emotions and our will. It would correspond roughly with the way the, the New Testament uses the word soul. And so it's really who we are deep down inside. And Solomon comes to his son. He says, son, I want you to, I want you to do these commandments from your heart. I don't want you to just do them on the, from the exterior. I want you to do them really from the heart. And, you know, sometimes that's a hard thing for us to do, isn't it? To really trust God with our heart and do his commands from the heart. I'm reminded here from a story, and you guys have probably heard it before, of this little girl who was, was acting up, and the, the mom got, just was fed up with it. And she says to the little girl, you go sit over there in the corner. And the little girl looks at her and says, no, not going to do that. Of course, I know none of your kids have ever done anything like that, right? Or you never did it when you were a kid either, right? To your parents? She says, no. Mom gets really mad now, and she says, look, you go sit over in that corner right now, like I told you, or you're going to get a spanking like one you've never had before. So the little girl looks at the mom, walks over, sits down in the corner, looks at her mom, says, I might be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. And, and I wonder how many times we do that with God, right? God, I'm doing what you say on the outside, but in, on the inside, I don't really want to do it. And, and the way that we, we make sure that we do that from the heart is we begin to understand the heart of God. We spend time in his word. We talked about that before. We say, God, show me your heart so that I can align my heart with yours and not the other way around. So I have to trust my heart to God. And as I said, Ryan's going to spend a lot more time on this in a couple of weeks. The second thing is I have to trust my decisions to God. Not just the big ones either. What does it say in, in, in verse 5? It says, it says to trust God in everything, right? Not in just some things. In all our ways to acknowledge Him. And so what God wants us to do is to, is to make sure that all the decisions we make are based on trusting Him. The problem is we don't usually do that. Our natural tendency is to do something more like this. We have a decision to make, so we sit down and we come up with a list of all the pros and cons, and we evaluate things from all these different angles, and, and then we make a decision, and, and then we go to God and say, Hey, God, now that I made my decision, I want you to bless my decision. I mean, be honest, that's the way we do it a lot of times, right? But what God wants us to do, He he wants us to entrust that whole process to him. It's nothing wrong with making a list of pros and cons and analyzing things. God gave us a mind. He wants us to use it in, those, in that decision-making process. But he wants us to do that after we've already made that, or after we've already brought that whole process before him and entrusted it to him and said, God, I want to make the decision that you want me to make, not just the one I want to make for myself. We get some real guidance here for how this whole process works in Psalm 37. And, and at least part of these, this passage is going to probably be familiar to you. Here's what the psalmist wrote. He says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So trust in the Lord. Then he says, secondly, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So we have trust, we have delight. And then finally he says, third, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. I think those are all three different aspects of trusting God. We delight in Him. We trust in Him. We commit our way to Him. Unfortunately, verse 4, a lot of people have taken that out of context. They say, well, if I delight myself in God, 
He has to give me anything I want. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And we've talked about this before. That's not what that verse means. What it means is that if we really delight in God, guess what? He'll put the kind of desires in our heart that line up with what he wants for our lives and not just what we want for our lives. So here I'm going to give you a really simple two-step process for making decisions in your life. And, and let me just say before I, I give you these two steps that in most cases, God is a lot more interested in the how than the what. He's more interested in how we do something than, than what we do in most cases. And so in this decision-making process, we're going to find that, that a lot of times we want God just to show us the exact path, but I think a lot of times God gives us some options, to be real honest. And I'll give you some illustrations in a moment. But here's, here's the two-step process for making decisions according to the Bible. Very simple. Number one, delight yourself in the Lord. That's, that's obvious, right? I delight myself in God. I spend time in his word. I pray. I delight in being in his presence. I, I want to get to know him deeper than I can, possibly can. And then number two, do what you want. Sounds too simple, doesn't it? But I believe with all my heart that if you're really, really delighting in the Lord, if you're doing that with all your heart, that God's going to lead you to make the right decision. He's going he's to give you desires that are in accordance with His will and His purposes and His plans and His ways. So I said I'd give you a couple of illustrations. Let's say that you're deciding between several different job offers that you have, and you, you're deciding, which job do I take, God? And you can open the Bible, and you can read. I don't think God's going to tell you. I, I haven't found anywhere here specifically where he's going to tell me which job to take, right? Won't find it. But here's what you will find in the Bible. You'll find some principles about the kind of employee that you should be, about how you ought to act in the workplace, about how you ought to relate to other people in the workplace. That's the, that's the how part of it, right? And you read those and you understand those. And then, then after you've done that, you, you pray and you ask God to give you some direction. And you say, God, show me each one of these jobs. Will it allow me to be the kind of employee that you want me to be? And if not, you eliminate that job. And, and if so, you say, yeah, that, that's something I could do. And then you sit down. Then you can make your list. You can do your evaluations. You can, you can understand the consequences of your choice. And then just choose whatever job you want and be confident in that. How about you're getting ready to go buy a new car? And I don't know, there's only one place in the Bible where I know it talks about cars. It says all the disciples were in one accord, so I guess they had Hondas back then. But other than that, there's there's no other references to cars. So I don't think the Bible's going to tell you exactly what car you can buy. They didn't even have cars back then, right? But here's what I can do. Again, God, I want you to be in charge of this process. I give this whole decision over to you, and I read the Scriptures, and I find in there there's some principles that that apply to this situation. Again, the how things, things about greed and covetousness, things about how I'm to handle my finances, and we're going to get to that here in a moment, and Ryan's going to go into some more detail on that in the next few weeks. There are some really clear principles here about borrowing money and, and about you know, having things that, 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 we, that we don't need and all those kind of things, and that may apply to that. And then what you do is you, you evaluate all these options that you have there to buy a car. You can make your list of pros and cons. 
Because you've taken all this stuff to God, and then once again, when you get there, you just buy whichever car you want. If you truly put this in the hands of the Lord, he's going to guide you to do it. So that's how we trust our decisions to God. Third thing, the third area where I have to trust God is I have to trust my treasure to God. Verses 9 and 10 might not seem real relevant to us today. I mean, most of us don't have, I don't know, how many of you guys have barns? I don't have a barn. I don't have vats of wine. I don't have produce. So it, it might seem a little irrelevant, but the, the principles still apply. And the principle we find here is exactly the opposite, isn't it, of what the world tells us. The world tells us the way you get rich is you hoard everything for yourself. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says the way you get rich is you give stuff away. Doesn't make much sense from the world standard, does it? But if we're really, truly trusting our material resources to the Lord, if we're being good stewards of all that He's given to us, then I can, I can guarantee you that part of that is going to be being generous with other people. And we've talked about this before. If you live in this country... If you have a a car and a place to live, you are much richer than most of the people in this entire world. And God has blessed you with those resources. And so what the Bible says is trust God with those. Go ahead and and invest in his kingdom and trust that God is going to give you riches that that are more than just earthly riches that you would get if you hoarded that for yourself. Isn't that exactly what Jesus taught? In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, here's what Jesus said. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So Solomon and Jesus are both saying, The way you get rich is you invest in my kingdom. But the riches that you're going to get, it's not necessarily material wealth. Now, God could choose to bless you that way. If he does, it's because he wants you to give some more of it away, I'm convinced. Jesus and Solomon are not, by any stretch of the imagination, teaching here what we call the prosperity gospel. They're not saying just give money so you can get more of it. They're saying be wise with your resources. Trust them to God so that you can get riches that last for eternity. And then finally, one last thing. He says that we need to, I need to trust my sin to God. I'm going to tell you right, off, right, right here, those first three areas that we've looked at, none of you will ever do that perfectly. I'll never do that perfectly. No human being is capable of doing that perfectly. Sometimes we mess up. Sometimes... We, we rely on our own wisdom, what we can see and what we can know, and we're going to mess up and we're going to do that. And so what we have to do is we have to, we have to bring that back to God. And we have to confess that. And we have to allow God to discipline us. That's what it talks about here. It says that, that when you sin, that God will discipline you because he loves you. We're going to see more about this sometime next year when we get to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to talk about this some more. And all of you who are parents, I I think you can understand it, right? How many of you discipline your kids because you want to hurt them? None, right? 
You discipline your kids because you love them, because you don't want you don't want them to engage in behaviors that are going to be harmful to their lives in the long run. And you know what? God does the very same thing to us because he wants the very best for us. He wants to complete the work that he began in us the very moment that we gave our lives to Jesus Christ to make us more and more like Jesus. That's what Paul wrote about in Philippians chapter 1 when he wrote this. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing, though, with the discipline. Make sure you listen and that you obey and that you heed God's discipline when he first brings it. I I can still remember that one of our children, who will remain nameless, that one day that uh, that child got a spanking and turned around and said, well, that didn't hurt. So they got a harder spanking the second time around. And you know what? We laugh at that, but how many of us have done the exact same thing with God, right? We sin. He brings discipline into our lives. And we don't maybe don't out loud say, God, did, that didn't hurt, but we don't heed it. And what does God have to do? He has to bring more difficult discipline into our lives. And he does that because he loves us. And so heed his discipline the first time. Trust your sin to him the first time. So we've seen this morning that I'm never more foolish than when I think I'm wise. And all of us have to to make a decision with that this morning. As I mentioned just a moment ago, none of us can do the things that we've talked about this morning perfectly. We all fall short. None of us deserve any of the blessings that we see here in this passage in Proverbs. But you know, there is someone who did all those things perfectly, who lived a perfect life. His name is Jesus. And then because he loved us so much, he died on the cross to make it possible for us to receive all these blessings that we're reading about this morning, even though none of us deserved any of them. And it may very well be this morning that there is someone joining us either in person or online who has never trusted your life to Jesus, who's never completely, that's the the ultimate trust, is to trust our entire lives to Jesus. And if you've never done that, then you're never going to experience all these blessings. I'll just be real honest. You may have a great life here on earth. You may think you don't need Jesus, but I can guarantee you that one day you'll be sorry that you didn't put your faith and your trust in him because the eternal blessings that we all really need, they come only through Jesus. So if you've never done that, never entrusted your life to Jesus this morning, we encourage you to do that. And Ryan or myself, our elders, we'd be more than happy to talk to you more about how we can do that. If you're here in person, just let us know. Our contact information is in the bulletin. If you're joining us online, through the chat. You can let us know if you'd like to talk more about that. We would love to do that. For the rest of us, the things that we learned today are, we see are things that we have to do not just once. You don't just once decide, I'm going to be wise and trust everything to God. It's something that we have to do day by day, moment by moment. So I want to encourage you as you as you walk through life each day to apply these principles that we've talked about today, to trust God with your decisions, to trust God with your sins, to trust Him with your wealth and your treasures, to trust Him most of all with your heart.
you know, trying to, to build an IKEA product without the directions, that can be a really, really frustrating thing to do. But it's not as frustrating ultimately as trying to live your life without listening to the instructions that God gives us in his scriptures. But the good news is we don't have to do that if we will just trust our lives to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I think about this passage that we've looked at today, and and Father, the principles are really pretty simple, but sometimes in life these are not easy things to do. So I just pray you'll help us to, uh, to trust our lives to you moment by moment, day by day, all these different areas that we've talked about today. And I pray for anyone here who's struggling with any of these that you would just come alongside them. Father, I pray that they would ask for help if they need it. And I pray especially for those who may have never trusted their heart to you that that today they would do that and that they would seek out someone who could help them through that process. We pray that all in Jesus' name.